Well, I hope you are excited to get into God's Word together into the Bible. And if you are have one, uh, we want to invite you to turn in your copy of the Bible to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, that is going to be on page 1063. Those black Bibles, like the one I just held up, page 1063. And as I say every single week, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, that you can read and uh, and and is, that is accurate. We want to provide one for you. So that black Bible that's in the pews, it's our gift to you. We're ultimately trying to get the Word of God into people's hearts. And we know that part of that starts by getting it into their hands. It's hard to, to read and learn from something you don't have. And so that's our gift towards you. And as we are looking today in the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, as it's specifically called, in the Bible, this part of the New Testament, these 66 books combined to be called the Bible, these perfect, infallible, inerrant, inspired words that come from God, we're going to look at what the Bible is talking about, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when it comes to growing towards maturity, being called to move from where you are to where you need to be. Now, the word maturity, well, let's just say it's not a very exciting word, is it? And I'll be honest, I came up in the generation that being immature was definitely celebrated. I mean, it was celebrated. I come from the generation when the TV phrase of the day, whenever I was some of these kids' age that were just up here was, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? And... Hey, did you know this happened? Psych! That was a big thing. Or, of course, the oldie but goodie. I'm rubber. You're glue. Whatever bounces off me sticks to... See, okay, alright. You're right there with me. That lets me know. There's a lot of immaturity in this room. At least something that you saw was celebrated. But today we're going to read out at the author of Hebrews... And and while it's fun to have comedy and, and have our fun and games and take joy and delight, it's it's actually, here's a secret that needs to be said in church, it's a good thing to smile and laugh and enjoy the Lord. Did you know that? That's a good thing. But there's also not only the good thing to have strength and joy in the Lord, to, to have a favor with Him and, and enjoy His presence, But there is also the act of knowing and acknowledging I'm also talking with the Lord. The Lord is funny. The Lord has done funny things. You read through some of the 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 words in the Bible and and sometimes you're just captivated. I was sharing with uh, one of our church members while they were having a hard time. I said, you know, there's all kinds of funny stuff in the Bible. And, And it's true. It's moments that happen. But how God used certain scenarios is it's just very entertaining. And I said, if you want to take a gander, look at Numbers 22 and look at verse 22 and following. And you'll see the story about how a guy that was going the way he was supposed to, but needed to be very serious about following the Lord's direction. He had an encounter with an angel of the Lord sent to show him that seriousness. But guess how God got his attention, first of all? Through a donkey. Through a donkey, and not just like a donkey acting like a donkey, a donkey that spoke. That's wild, trippy stuff. 
But nevertheless, it's true. And it shows, well, God, if you can use a donkey, I guess I can preach. All right, here we go. God can use all kinds of means to bring us to him. But he also wants us to see the seriousness of who he is and what it means to follow after him. And the writer of Hebrews, as he's highlighting this this message over and over again to his readers, that Jesus is far better, more superior, far more excellent, the eternal God, and His name is high above any other name, please take serious what you do in following Him and recognizing that following Him is not, I will go this far and no more. It is moving on to maturity. So stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. This comes from the book of Hebrews. Holy inspired of God, provided and preserved for us, Made accessible to us. The word of the Lord says this in verse is 11 through 14. We have a great deal to say about this. And it is difficult to explain. Since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. Some of your versions may say the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Let us pray. Lord God, we have read from your word. And while it is a word that brings us joy, it also shows us the striking seriousness of who you are, what you have done and what you have said. So, Lord, I pray we would take it well today and that it would drive us on. As we hear the calling to be mature, to grow into maturity, that we would see the rich grace that's in that. We would see the joy that is found in that. We would see you, Jesus. Help us to hear from you today. And may we all be taught by you, the Lord. It is in your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, every time we get into the Bible, we're trying to help people gain a better understanding of it. That we don't want to just read it and then toss it aside. We want to center and hone in on it and focus and see what it says. Because we believe, as the Bible rightly declares, that it is what is profitable for our lives. It is what corrects us. It's what rebukes us. It's what trains us in righteousness. It is what is inspired by God. Hey, Miss Chasta. Hey, child check-in is serious. I know that's going to make it for an excellent Facebook post, though. But we want to see what it says. We need to make sure that when we're learning from the Lord, that is exactly who we're learning from. We're not learning from an ideology or a philosophy that is off the cuff. No, we want to see something that is centered and rooted on what God Himself has provided for us. And so we don't take for granted that God has made His Word accessible to us so we may see what it says. And then we're looking to see what it means. As we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, 
we've found that it's a letter that was written from a believer to Jewish believers, at least to Jewish people that claim to be believers in Jesus. And it's writing to them in a time of hardship where the difficulty of maintaining and following in the faith, following Jesus is is certainly risen. Not only are they having difficulties from the outside world as far as the government and the persecution that was happening under the Roman government at this time, but they're also facing persecution in their homes, in their communities, where their culture and their tradition and their history, it, it was so rooted in and the, the message that I have trusted Jesus and I will follow Jesus. That was difficult for, for many homes and, and it separated a lot of people. And so with the opportunity to say, you know, I've trusted Jesus. Isn't that enough? Can't I just put Jesus on the back burner or on the shelf and nobody really has to know? Uh, that seemed like a logical, rational idea to many other people. And, and I would be just very frank, that may seem like a very logical, rational idea to today's believers. They say, you know, I know Jesus. I know Jesus is good. And I know the message about Jesus and, and He saves and, and He'll rescue us and take us to heaven. That, that, I love that. But outside these walls, could I just keep it low key? Does, does it have to really in, involve and infiltrate everything about me and thus infiltrating everything about me will make itself known to everyone around me? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, it does have to do that. Because if the gospel has taken root, it will produce life. It will produce fruit. Because the message of the gospel is not a bad seed. It is not a bad tree to be planted in our life that doesn't produce, that withers. It's meant to be life-giving and we should not try to muffle it. To deaden it. The writer here is encouraging the readers, these Hebrew brethren, to not try to go back to the old way, even though it was provisional and useful in its time, it was the milk. And now they need to move on to the meat. We're going to see how it applies and look at our at, at this message and say this is the meaning that never changes, but we may be questioning how this involves us. Some people in this room may be really struggling with this area and this topic of maturity. Others may be learning how they can help influence others and encourage them on to maturity. But we are all held accountable by its roots, by its word, by its power. And so our aim, as we look at the text today, to see what its aim is, is it, it's, it's telling us that we must steadily, steadily pursue maturity in the faith by digesting the deep truths of God's Word. I'm going to say that again. The, the encouragement, the, the summary of this text is saying we must all steadily pursue maturity in the faith. How do we do that? By digesting the deep truths of God's Word. So what would be a healthy, steady, maturing digestion of God's Word? What would that even look like if, if we're trying to take it? I mean, I'm not literally saying what you need to do is go to your home, uh, get you a, a glass of buttermilk and start tearing pieces of this Bible and, and dunking it in and eating it like you would cornbread and buttermilk. That is not what I'm telling you. But figuratively, symbolically, but also very personally and intentionally, how does that take place? 
Well, let's look at what the writer of Hebrews says as his encouragement, his exhortation to the Hebrews. He says, first of all, if you want to know what's needed, you first of all, if you're, this is going to take place, you need to have a clarifying prognosis. You need to have a clarifying prognosis. So did you get the, you understand the deal here? And over and over, the writer of Hebrews, he's going back to the swing of this is who Jesus is. This is why he is great. This is why you are to follow. This is why he is greater. This is why you need him. This is why he is good. This is why you must not depart. It's, it's bringing back this balancing swing. And here, it seems very odd because when you're reading the end of chapter 4 and the, begin, the beginning part of chapter 5, as, as we have designed them and laid them out, um, it was a letter. It wasn't written with chapter 4 and 5 when the writer of Hebrews initially did this. But you see him making this strong case about Jesus being the chosen, almighty, greatest of great high priests that exists forever, that will be in power forever. He's making this bold declaration, and he's going to get back to it. But in the middle of this writing, he pauses as if he's reflecting on the things he's heard, the things that these believers have questioned him about. And he goes directly into addressing it. It's not a tangent, it's not off-cuff, but it is, it is a response to something that was a reality. He's seeing these symptoms and he says, I need to give you a prognosis. And I'm going to tell you. Well, you may have heard it. Reading this, if this was written to me, you have become too lazy to understand. Say what? What did you just say to me? I am too lazy to even understand. Wow. Are you calling me stupid? Is that what you're saying? And for the readers that were going through this situation, that were really weighing in, is Jesus worth it? The writer has, makes no bones about it. says, if you don't get this, you're a little bit dull. And I'm trying to show you by His grace that God doesn't want to leave you there. That God in His kindness is trying to say, this may be where you are, but it's not where you have to stay. It's by His love that He's saying, I want this to be made known to you so that you don't walk away and just think, well, I guess He just called me stupid, so I'm just too stupid to know. No, He's saying, don't stay there. If you know what needs to be done, it, it, I want to show you out of kindness what needs to take place. I'm, I'm bringing an intervention here. Because right now, you've become too lazy to understand. The writer of Hebrews has been dealing with this and in his exhortation, that's kind of what we like to call no frills encouragement. You're not trying to flatter anybody. You're just trying to say, hey, this is what needs to be done for your own good, for our corporate good. And I'm just, I'm not making any bones about it. Let's get to it. Not like, come on, good guy. You're such a champ, buddy. Let's do this. No, this is where you're at. This is where you need to be because all of us need to be there. And in that exhortation here, he's saying there's a dullness because you have become so lazy that you, you're not even attempting to hear. It's not worth it to even listen. Why would I even step out the door? What's the point of even trying? Isn't it a great day? 
That's wonderful. That's the level of where the people have gotten. And he's saying, don't stay there. I need you to clarify and see. You may not think you're there, but you're absolutely there. I'm thankful for brothers and sisters that will speak into your life and and deal and give you some honest feedback at times and clarifying prognosis. Um, I made an off-the-cuff remark at one of our discipleship groups uh, about, I don't know, two months ago, I guess. And uh, maybe it was a month ago. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of feeling really down. And I'm tired a lot. And I'm feeling puffy and all this kind of thing. And in my loving and encouraging brother says, well, you, you are starting to fill out your shirt a little bit more. And my wife noticed too. Oh, okay. Way to deal with your pride, bro. Thanks. But you know what? It was helpful because someone's saying, look, you're thinking this way, but you're kind of like, eh, talking around and trying to justify where you are. You're too tired. You don't have enough time. Maybe you just need to eat less and work out more. And I've been trying to do that, and I'm thankful that, you know, this is not me fishing for compliments, but the jacket fits better. So, that's nice. That's nice. And right here, the author is saying, this is where you are, and you've, you don't know this, but you've gotten to the point of laziness where you're not hearing. And, and to build upon that, to build upon where we need to be, I've got to address this. Sometimes you just have to address the elephant in the room. You just do. Because until you get to that, until you get to the root issue, the the aftermath, the effects that are meant to take hold are not going to be there. They're not going to progress. This is why the author has spent time saying with his prognosis, beware of drifting. That it's a potential in your life, in your faith to drift and, and, and just to let the current of where life is take you wherever it wants to take you. And beware of drifting. It tells us in, in chapter 3 to beware of doubting. All of these are clarifying prognosis about the potential difficulty. And here he's not even talking about the potential. He's talking about what exactly is in the moment and why they're even weighing an option of should I just discount Jesus? Should I just stick with the little Jesus in the box, not the Jesus who changes all my life? We need that clarifying prognosis. A pastor friend and colleague of mine named Johnny Hunt wrote this way with this idea of laziness. Especially when it comes to knowing what God is saying and, and being listeners. He says, laziness towards the Word of God leads to uselessness in the work of God. It leads to that. And, and this is where it leads to this compelling picture about what happens. It says in verse 12 that this is where you should be. That although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. Of course, that's all they're on. They're, they're still babies. But the first thing he says, he says, if you really 
were in a healthy digestion of, of God's Word and a steady, maturing, growing progression and where you're learning about God's Word, this is where you would be. You would be people that were ready to teach, not people saying, always teach me. Now, here it is not saying about the spiritual giftedness of teaching and the calling of being a teacher or a pastor or elder. That is a part of spiritual giftedness for those that are called to certain roles and positions to be in, in absolutely committed, called, purposeful roles. To do those things. To teach people the Word in that way. To pastor and, and to lead and shepherd. That is a calling. But here is the truth. Everyone who is a disciple of Jesus is meant to be a disciple maker for Jesus. In other words, you have been taught to teach. Someone, somewhere, whether it's those in the, across the hall in your own home, or those across the cubicle or across the factory floor, you have been called to teach. Every one of us. We all have that responsibility. It's called being a witness. Being a disciple. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And if we're going to do that, it's going to require teaching. It's going to require sharing. It's require uncovering and saying, this is what you need to know. And these basic things. But a part of it, a part of it is learning where your diet is. Is your diet merely that being a consumer only. Think about infants. I love babies. They're so cute. They really are. Except when they're not. When they're loud. And there's nothing you can do to console them. And everything that's, that is needed is dependent on you. Yes, it's a great and beautiful thing to be a provider and a parent. I love being a parent. There's those times of neediness and wantingness. And you know what? You just can't tell the baby, go make your own bottle. You know, they don't go to mama's lap and say, well, let me fix this and do this. Mom has to do the work. It's a part of it. They, they have a need of, of someone providing everything for them. And, and there, but there gets to a point where the, the baby is no longer a baby and grows to the point where they're no longer on, on mom's milk that's full of nutrients and good for them. But they're able to actually provide for themselves solid food. They're, they're able to discern what they need and, and what, what is good for them. And they're able to begin preparing it and, and, and also not only preparing it, but preparing it for themselves, but preparing it for others. There's a stage where they have moved in life. And the imagery that, that that the writer of Hebrews is giving here is this is the same way with the diet. There's a point in your life when you come to faith in Jesus. Yes, we understand your needs are great and, and someone is going to have to go to you and help provide this for you. That's why we're all called to be teachers. We're going to have to help new Christians, new believers to do this. But then there becomes a point where they're becoming independently dependent on the Word of God for themselves. And they're beginning to prepare time with the so that it feeds them and also helps feed others. And the question that the, 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 the argument that the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, a lot of y'all ain't there. Why? Have you really thought of the prognosis? Is it somebody else's fault? 
Because the writer of Hebrews is saying, "Mm, I can understand having bad shepherds. He tells later on that those that are shepherds, they're called to a higher account and they better be doing it well. But for the problem with you who are wishy-washy, going back and forth, swinging between two opinions, is the prognosis that really what's going on is you're too lazy to understand because you won't open your ears. And man, that is rough stuff. That is rough stuff because I look at my life and I don't have it altogether perfect. I don't. I remember a time where I, I grew up in a deep fried Southern Baptist church and, and man, we, we sang the right songs because, you know, some people have opinions about what's a right song, what's a wrong song. But we, we sang the right songs. I mean, you opened a book, so it had to be the right song. Um, and, and, and we were up there and we, we only used a certain type of Bible. And we had all these stories and we had all these teachers and all these things. But I remember getting to college. Now, I came to Jesus. I, I recognized Jesus saved me when I was 11 years old. And I heard stories and little tales about what Jesus had done and, and what is good and virtuous and all these kind of things that, that were prepared for me, prepared for me, prepared for me. But you know how long it was before I ever really opened a Bible and said, I want to know this. I need to be preparing my heart to receive this so I can prepare my heart to share it with others. You know how long that took? Nine years. Nine years. Imagine if your baby was born and it took them nine years to get off mother's milk. We'd be like, something's wrong. That ain't right. And this is where the Bible is telling us. Where are you? Are you right where you need to be? And that kind of compelling, clarifying prognosis is needed. Sometimes we need people to say, you know what, it's time to get away from the coddling. Are you okay, bud? You good? Let me me help you out, champ. And just say, this is where you're at. This is where you need to be. Are you going to deal with it? It's not exactly my style. I'm really not exactly that person. At least I don't think I am. I prefer the encouraging words of affirmation. I like the coddling. I like someone to say, man, you're the best. I just love you. And then to hammer me with what I need to know. But this is the compelling picture. This, this, is, this is giving the visual as, as clear as it can be. Are you maturing as God has intended you to mature? Because if you don't, it does have an impact. If you are not taking in the Word of God, you're going to become useless to the work of God. And so there's this corrective prescription given in verse 14. He says, solid food is for the mature. That seems simple enough. Yeah, of course we know that. You, when you get old enough and you have teeth and you're able to get up with the legs that are in, the bones that are in your legs and, you know, that kind of thing and to prepare food, that's, that's for the mature. But spiritually, for those whose senses, this solid food of the, of the word, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So the corrective prescription is you need 
discernment. You need a time of fresh evaluation to stand before the Lord and say, Jesus, I may not be able to address the elephant in the room, but you can. And by your grace, by your goodness, would you do that for me? Would, would you just be frank and honest with me about where I am? Because I am weighing between two opinions. Do I trust you with all my heart and love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind and will? Or do I just say, I prefer the little Jesus in a box. And if I want this, but I'm staying here right now in my life, what needs to change? Help me distinguish between which is good and which is evil. Not a flaw or a character issue. What is evil? The corrective prescription is Filter my eyes so that I may see this. That I may have discernment here. So that when it comes to the message of your word, I'm not sitting there just twiddling my thumbs thinking, eh, what's the point? And it leads us to this corrective prescription because it's telling us that God in His grace, He didn't make all this known just to leave us there. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Let's just drive this home to the cross. If God was just saying, hey, you're too lazy to understand and now you're dull. See ya. How awful would that be? How cruel would we talk to that kind of parent? Would we view them? How terrible would we say, Wow, that boss is a jerk. If we had a professor like that that says, Hey dummies, you're lazy. Bye. Be like, I don't think they need that job. That would be where we're at. Because we would see the cruelty in it. But some people think that's how God is, that He's just this demanding figure that says, You're all losers. No, he says, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I have demonstrated my love for you in that while you were still sinners, sinners implies evil. I died for you. I did that because only I could do it. The whole message right here before you get to this whole thing about maturity is about Jesus being that awesome great high priest who stands before us and says i will bridge the gap between you and the holy one because i am the holy one but i'll take on flesh not only to bridge the gap but to live something you couldn't and die something you should have i will be that substitute for you and based on that i'm extending a grace giving awakening moment to say yeah this is where you are. But by my grace towards you and my love that is relentless towards you, this is where you can be. I'm inviting you forward. I'm calling you towards this. And you need to have that discerning moment to say, this is the Lord and His goodness to me. This is not just some weird philosophy. This is not just some hopeful thinking. This is Jesus being so good to me. And so is a concluding point. Today in this room, there may be perhaps those that, first of all, need to 
hear and respond to the invitation of Jesus and His deliverance. That you, without me, are dead in your sins. That's where you were and where you will remain until you place your faith in me. And I believe in divine appointments. I don't believe they happen all the time. Like, I believe there are certain moments that God says, Hey, I'm speaking this message to you in the kindness of my heart, and I'm moving in the Holy Spirit in your life right now because I want you to know you need deliverance. But if you walk out the door, it doesn't mean that oh, I could, this could just happen any day. No, it's God saying, I'm stirring you, and I won't leave you alone until you have peace with me. For some in this room, you need to find peace with God. To find deliverance. Your weighing of two options may be like, yeah, I kind of like the idea of Jesus, but I'm not really sure if I can trust Him. And God says, I'm, I'm inviting you to leave where you're at. To be where I am. Which is impossible without me. But because of me, I can deliver you. For some in this room, it may be an issue of devotion. That you've said, man, like you, pastor, at 11 years old, I knew Jesus saved me. I trust Him. I was baptized in some waters. I knew that. But my devotion level, if I'm honest, it ain't matured. I'm kind of like the, make something for me. I got nothing for you. I got nothing for no one. Because my devotion to the Lord is not where it needs to be. And as the writer of Hebrews has encouraged you to draw near to this awesome high priest that extends an invitation to you, who is sympathetic to you, who is able to deal gently with you, who says, draw near to the throne of grace with boldness so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. That's what he's telling you. Come to the place and stand in awe of Jesus once more, who is better, and have your devotion to the Lord restored. And it's for some in this room, Maybe you are at the place where you're starting to take solid food, but you really need to engage more intentionally in a process of discipleship that says, God, help me find ways to be a disciple and help me see that a part of that is to make disciples. By this time, I should be teaching in some way. Maybe it's not in a church office or a church Sunday school room, but it's to someone. That someone may be a spouse, it may be a child, it may be a co-worker, it may be a neighbor, it may be a coffee barista. Today is the National Coffee Day. Hallelujah, thank the Lord. But somewhere along the way, God has said, I have called you for a purpose. It is not pointless to be my disciple, delivered and devoted, learning so that you may help others learn. Where are you in your call to maturity i know i've got a lot a long way to go and i'm thank you for walking with me this far let's continue walking towards that together let's pray lord jesus today i as we come to this closing point in our worship gathering here i'm asking lord for you to do what is only possible through your hands it is not by any clever a way of phrasing something that I have done, but it is only because of Your Holy Spirit that people may draw near to You. And You have graciously made that available to all. So God, as we have this moment of response, lead Your people to respond in a way that is appropriate, that is honest, 
and that is full of grace. Just saturated with the good news of the Gospel that this is what you went to the cross and rose again for. That gives you glory. Lord, help your way in this moment. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.